In a world full of misery, rage, and insomnia, there's a place you can go to just unwind. All you have to do is take a long walk into the mountains, and just past the black house with the secret garden, you'll find a small cabin. Inside that cabin, you'll find the Hole in the Wall Book Club. So now that the Dreamcatcher's hung and the fire started, we invite you to pull up a chair and join the Losers Club as we explore the world of slurping on people's necks and serious men. The moment I press record, it, like the intro just drops. Hello and welcome to Hole in the Wall Book Club. I'm Anthony. and I'm Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You think we get better at this eventually? Are your shirt purple? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've been rocking. I was just seeing if it matched the hair, or if I was just being tricked by the hair. Nah, no, that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, we're talking about a single chapter today, and I know it's your your favorite type, the lot. Uh, Was it the lot three? Yeah, chapter ten, the lot three, which is I think the biggest chapter we've had so far. Yeah, at least in the uh, little ebookish thing, it was roughly eighty pages. Yeah, and then Audible, it's like hour and a half. So, and we start with another super poetic intro. I I actually like this one better than the other ones, at least. I feel like more information was given in this one. I'm not even sure if this was annoying because it was doing that whole poetic thing. Rather, I think by this one, I'm now starting to realize why they're annoying. It's that they, it's that they're like really wordy. Yeah. In the sense that it feels like he's forcing the mood he wants to set for you by the next you know, subsection, whatever it's numbered. I think that's why they annoy me. It's like they're so stylistically they could be, different than the rest. Yeah, of the book. they could be more. What's often being uh, uh, portrayed in any of them could be like a really cleverly written paragraph or two, but it says this long-winded, and the da da da, and this followed this, and the wind of this, yeah, and the tree of this. This one was all about darkness and secrets, and like. Near the end of it, we do get a bit like talking about all the town's secrets, and once again setting up as a character the whole the town is a character. I think that's it. It, and this may actually kind of flow through this book in general that might bother me is the he kind of keeps telling you how every how awful everything's supposed to be instead of showing you how awful everything. Right. It bounces between the two. Like through this entire chapter, you'll get multiple instances of people doing shit. Which could point out that they were crappy or that some that darkness is here, but then you proceed it with a chapter where you're like right before or a, a little subsection where you want to call the part thing, mm-hmm. where right before I show you all these people doing terrible things, let me just really lay on the darkness of this town. Yeah, and then it then towards the end when the vampire dudes bumped into, he talks about the darkness. Like I I kind of feel like you don't need to tell us there's so much darkness here. We could just we could kind of get that from the story so far. Yeah, and like near the end of this section, he starts going through like the town has all these secrets, and the vast majority of this, I think, is just setting more tone setting. Hey, look how bad people really are. Like we, it's like the town has its secrets. Um, they know old Albie Crane, who I'm pretty sure we've never heard about before. There's a lot of there's several people in here. It's like. Hey, here's a name drop and a dark secret about them. You've never heard about them, and you will likely never hear them again. To set the tone. Especially since we've already been shown so many dark secrets before being told how many dark secrets are in this town. Right. We've just been seeing chapter to chapter of these things. And now for you to reset the tone about how dark this town is, it's a little late. 
we're kind of already we're kind of already there yeah yeah there was a bit where i I can't remember who it was and i'm not gonna bother looking it up but where it like talks about some person's dad and how he died and it's like um and now he's dead much like his son will be by the end of this story i'm like what the fuck was that (laughs) that felt so out of place right yeah but I think the important things we learn here is this where we learn that Marston was writing letters and like before he killed himself, he put all the letters in the fire. Yeah. And it's heavily implied he was writing. And that when he well. killed his wife, the mystery was that she was actually begging him to and that when he was hanging, he was actually smiling. Yeah. Basically all the And they, they like tell who he was writing letters to, and I didn't go back and check, but I'm pretty sure sh- if I remember correctly, it was the name that the FBI said Barlow had used at one point. I think something like that. It, it was. It's Barlow. It's yeah, clear. The, the, yeah, that, that feels like it. They they never say the name, but they give other and names. You're doubly. And... That's doubly reinforced because towards the very end of the chapter, when he bumps uh, bumps into Corey, mm-hmm. he makes the comment uh, that he knows this town as a result of correspondence with someone in this town. Right. And so you can so pretty much guess it too. We finally got our link between Marston. Yeah, and Barlow. they were just straight up talking to each other, which is kind of weird. Because this whole book has set the Marston house up as a beacon of evil. And it's like, I mean, not so much a beacon as the dude who lived there wrote letters. Like, it's a beacon in that the postal service picked up from it. Exactly. It's, it was a weird whole thing. But, like, yeah. And the other, like, this section's weird. This Yeah, this section's super weird because it's a bunch of information that just isn't important. Like, we find out that Hal, your, your favorite little farm kid, jerks off a lot. Oh, yes, yeah. Like, That's key info. Um, but then, like, in the next couple paragraphs, like, that we find I think out someone... that the baby, Randy McDougal, the 11-month-old, that, uh, was it, or that 10-month, sorry, 10-month-old, or that 10-month-old Randy McDougal did not even struggle when Danny Glick sick, slipped through his bedroom window and plucked the baby from his crib. So, we have now learned that that infants are the Capri Sun of the vampire world. <laughs> that uh-huh. appears to be the case. <laughs> and, my God. We're going to jump into this in a second, but we have a 10-month-old vampire. We don't actually see that happen, but at this point, we're not even going to give the benefit of the doubt. That kid, that 10-year-old, the 10-month-old is a vampire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's a it's a weird section. Um, any more on that one? <clears throat> not really. It's just, it also just runs. It's very easy to just passively skip things here and there because it just, it's like, it's not formatted as an infinite run-on sentence, but you read it as if it, there is no periods. He's just going, do, 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 uh, and it just all mashes together. No, straight up, like, from, for, I mean, I know that this is a purely audio medium, so I'm going to hold up a book and point. From here to here, there's not a period. <laughs> and that is over a page. Yeah, it's, that's, that's exactly how it it's, feels It's like a reading. big run-on sentence in the form of a paragraph and then a semicolon and then another paragraph that starts with or. Like, I am starting to uh, wonder what it must feel like to be King's editor because both of these books so far are just all over the place in form. Yep. Just t- this is speech. Nope. This is a thought. Nope. This is the actual text of the story. Flex, oh, no. Flex. Yeah. You know, I'm going to randomly interject. Oh, someone's going to stop. It's this must be a pain to. Yeah. No, it's this book stylistically shifts constantly depending mm. on like in this we have an omniscient narrator. Which is something we don't have anywhere except the first section of every lot chapter. It's super weird. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen a book that's like, okay, 
We're going to do third person focused on Ben. We're going to do third person focused on Susan, omniscient narrator that acknowledges that you're reading a book and points out someone's going to die by the end of this book. Like, what the fuck is happening? But eh. It feels like it's King kind of borrowing from anything that influenced him and kind of peppering them all together and sort of the unified slapdash kind of thing. I got to say, like, I've read a lot of King. Uh, I've read a lot of King's later stuff as well. I've not read it with the intention to talk about and analyze it. I don't remember this happening in his later stuff. I think this is him finding his groove. Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious when we get to The Shining and on if maybe... We still have, there's still quite a few more of uh, in this town books, but if maybe he figures out uh, a flow, it's, yeah. it's kind of the flow. Like he's kind of gotten this part one, part two, part three system kind of figured out, and that's how he wants to deliver the story. But I think I, I had mentioned this problem before. I think on the podcast, it's this weird. He has this weird thing with like telling you everything awful about to happen before it happens. Yeah, Carrie did this to you constantly. Right. You're informed of TK powers almost immediately, and then just given. Everything that's about to happen. And this has the same... Remember, Carrie, one of the first lines was like, Carrie's a fat cow. They wouldn't have ridden it if they knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And this has the same kind of quality in that he's... It's either kind of... Or it's either telling you ahead of time or it's springing up the brain. Because how many people show up is just, oh, yeah, okay, that guy's a vampire. Uh, like okay, Floyd. Yeah, right. Floyd's in... Yeah. We... You Out are, of nowhere. have been waiting to see what's going on with Floyd. Like, we knew it was going to come to a head. That there was going to be some kind of confrontation because of Ben and Sue. And then it just all happened in the background until he just tried to beat the door. Sorry, not tried. Successfully beat the shit out of Ben. <laughs> like, it's weird. Um, and I'm being real harsh on this section. I personally actually liked this chapter. I don't know what your overall opinion was. I, I, I like where the story's moving, finally. I, but I just want to be harsh here because they always feel so out of place. Yeah, I... Uh... I think I'm kind of at a point where it's like I like I it was good within like the book, but I may not be the biggest fan of. It feels like the ending is going to feel like Thirty Days of Night, and then it's just going to be a slaughter fest. Where I, it seemed like you would be you personally in, seem more interested in like one monster or a couple. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it would have been a little slow creep, and then the fear would have set in. But like this book had a weird thing where it was like, all right, when's it coming? When's it coming? When's this guy going to get here? When's this going to happen? And then as soon as he does, it's like, you're a vampire. You're a vampire. You're a vampire. And it's yeah. like, instantly Spoiler the town alert, seems slightly three over. new vampires by the end of this. Yeah. It just, it's starting to almost instantly feel like the town's being overrun by, well, thralls or whatever they might actually be. But let's not even pretend. Then it's, then they keep saying this, hey, he, like it's a lord. And then you saw the Lord of the Flies thing earlier. You're getting this really weird, like, these are vampires, but the story itself feels far more akin to if a warlock came into town and started converting people to a Satan's right. cult yeah, the, more I, than I'm, it feels like vampires. I am still having so much trouble getting past the sacrifices that seem to heavily imply what w was needed to create Danny Glick as a vampire. Yeah. I, cause that hasn't seemed to happen again, even though we have now at this point have four new vampires. If we count Floyd from last episode, I'm also kind of confused about the, like we saw it in one of the earlier chapters where, he just, the, what's his name? The guy who ran the dump. Uh, Dud. Dud. When he goes and bumps into that, where he's, you know. Five vampires. Dud's a vampire. Lure, lures them in and says some things to them and suddenly they blah, blah, blah. And then they always describe it as falling asleep. I'm confused why, I'm confused with the point of the vampire, you know, 
re poking through your mind, finding the thing that means the most to you, grabbing onto it, and then converting you is meant to accomplish. Yeah. Like, this Every... is a thing that could just spring down and bite you and turn you and be done with it. I'm actually I'm... kind of confused by this whole ritual of seducing you into being bitten. I'm wondering if you have to accept it to be turned. Maybe. Because maybe that's why Danny was different and there was a sacrifice. Because, like, Every other vampire that we've seen the turning process, there was an acceptance. We'll, we'll get into that more here in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because we saw Dud, and Dud accepted that. Right. Um, but jumping into our next section, we visit the best parents in Salem's Lot. We're back at the Very McDougals. Best. yeah. And that starts out with, like, Sandy McDougal waking up and immediately, like, something's wrong. I feel the sun. And I was like, wait, when the fuck did she turn into a yeah, vampire? Yeah, that's what it kind of felt like at first, too. But I, clearly it, playing with it, you. That was, that was actually, I actually liked that. Yeah. It was clever because I was like, whoa, hold up. And then it's almost immediately, she's freaking out because Randy always wakes her up before the sun. This is pretty quick. She basically goes into the um, kid's room, finds him essentially tossed, I think it's essentially like a rag doll into a corner with his leg poking up in the air. Mm -hmm. Walks over, picks up the kid. Mentions that once again, like every other vampire we've encountered, they're almost pristine, weirdly pristine. Every bruise that she had given the baby was already healed and gone. There was just a lifeless color to it. Right. To the point that she, I don't know how much of this was affected by the appearance or just purely freaking out. But like she tries to feed the kid. Um, yeah. Keeps putting, going, wake up, wake yeah. up. Come on. Don't fool me like this. Get some, I think, custard, chocolate custard, something Gerber stuff. Yep. Feeds it, even pushes the baby's mouth open to try to put some in, notices the baby's teeth, freaks her out. Yep. Say, very similar to what she did at the end of the last time we saw her, where she was in the kitchen and she was just going, thank goodness he didn't react, we'll be fine. It's the same sort of delusion. She's yep. just trying to convince herself the kid's alive. Yeah, there's a point in which she's like yelling at the kid, like kind of a, almost a mini echo of Danny Glick's funeral. That mm, like, yeah. you know, stop fucking around you're fine. Get up out of that grave. I did you know, anger instead of acceptance. Yeah. I got to say this very much. I, I am for, for personal reasons. I'm wildly hoping for this 10 month old vampire to just kill his parents. I want I, that. Scene. <clears throat> I thought it would be very possible, but the more this goes, I think it's very, I almost think it's probable. Like I think the dad's going to die. Stuff I is think getting... the mom's going to be a vampire. That could happen. I mean, looking at... We're going to get to this scene. Actually, it's next. Um, but looking at what happens when we jump over to the Glick's house, it seems to be the pattern. Uh, is there any more in this oh, scene? that's true. Not really. Because Okay, then we can jump right into that, because their next scene is the Glick's. And I loved this section. It was really well written in that, like, the whole beginning... It's, it's all from the dad's perspective, whose name... I just don't have him on the board, do I? Why didn't I put him on the board? All right. Well, it's all it's it's all from like the dad's perspective and he's going through like how he's dealing with the grief, which is essentially just sleeping. And then how his wife's dealing with the grief, which is obsessively cleaning every single thing in the house and that she's been getting sicker and weaker looking. And I don't know, it was actually just like taking stepping away from the vampire Salem's Lot story. It was just really well-written grief. It okay, was yeah. It was just good. Like it was it felt honest and real. Um but I guess the storyline stuff here is that Marjorie Glick starts talking about these dreams she's had where Danny comes to her in the night and 
suckles on her teat like he did as a child. And there's a mention of like, like, like right when he was starting to teeth and he kind of nips a little bit and it, but it feels kind of good. And there is a weird bit here where uh, Mr. Glick starts being like, I know she's real sad, but damn, she's sexy. <laughs> right? Like yeah. there's a yeah. point at which like she's crying into his arms and he's like, why do I have a boner? Like what? Why am I, why am I half masked? I got chubs for you. <laughs> God, that's a that's a deep cut. We haven't talked about that yeah. song in a while. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not a dream. I mean, this is this is. It's not a dream. She looks sickly because of that. She avoids the sun hardcore. It's the same kind of setup you've been given to show everyone else who's turned. Yeah, who's been turned off screen, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to wonder if the aversion to going to a doctor is actually part of turning into a vampire. Because she also, like, he's like, hey, we got to go to the doctor. You look like shit. You can barely walk. She's like, no, I, it's just the sun. Don't, no doctor. She gets kind of aggressive, like, no doctor today. If, if it's not better soon, we'll go. And Maybe. With Mike, I, I kind of just assumed it was, like, Mike being a tough guy. I don't want to go to the doctor. I get that. But it's always become a recurring theme. There's definitely, they definitely get a little lost in whatever it is. That turns them, as their turns to be sort of, like, what probably even makes her think that that feels like a dream that she's having when he does that. That right. kind of vampire mind-clouding stuff. Yeah. But all in all, this is a really good s- section. Um, and it sets us up for, Marjorie Glick's going to be a vampire. So, looking at the scoreboard on that, we both guessed dead. So, neither of us get points on that one. I mean, slight chance, but... Yeah, she's probably yeah. yeah. Again, with like like it was with Floyd in the last section. There, I don't think there's red herrings anymore. No, I don't. I, I think if someone's seems like they're turned into a vampire, it's just happening. Probably, yeah. Um, which means I don't think we actually got any red herrings. So I think every person we're like, eh, I think they're a vampire, and it seems like they're gonna be. Yeah, even mm. preemptively, sort of like being a vampire before you were even willing to jump to that conclusion yet. Right. Right. But uh, so that's vampire number two that we're getting out of this section. Um, at least she's an adult. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and then from there, we jump back to uh, Ben and Susan um, back at the hospital. Still Ben's still knocked out. And we I talked to... we had talked Good. last time about how Susan went through the exact same acceptance process as Ben. Mm. This Even more so because Ben did this. It was I don't believe you. I saw something that makes me believe you. I don't want to believe you, but I'm getting there. And now I believe you. And then this is Susan's like, you know, last episode, we had that moment where she's like, oh, no, this is real. And then we jump into her being like, I mean, it's probably real, but I can't accept it. The thing is, is that she does it even again. And I was actually ready to say that I have to admit, I'm actually getting slightly annoyed with Susan functioning as the... uh... The, no, no, I just won't believe it. Because, like, the first couple times, okay, yeah, yeah. You're not going to just casually believe there's some vampires in your town. But by the end of this thing, she actually calls Ben at his bed. I think it's the very end of the chapter, actually. Mm-hmm. Calls Ben in his bed to talk to him and say all these terrible things that are happening. And it's the same exact reaction from her. But no, but no, this can't. It's like, come on, lady. How many, how many of these do you need to see before you start thinking something could be happening? Right. And there is, um, 
There's a, a conversation here that I don't think we're going to be able to do justice. I actually liked it. I don't know how you felt about the can't conversation. Yeah. Where she keeps was... saying, I can't believe this. And Ben's like, stop with that word. Like, don't say can't because you're just cutting off a whole possible reality. Like, get rid of that word out of your vocabulary. Look at the facts and let's figure this out. Even explains it to her in the sense that he goes, I didn't believe. But then the window was open and then the screen was punched out and it's only locked from the outside. The... Pointing out that there's the point where the evidence just goes, you're being absurd by not taking this seriously. Yeah, yeah. the only reason you are not accepting this is because you've decided not to. Yeah. Um, and he kind of does... Kind of like how, uh, you know, uh, plant-based consumables are natural and healthy no matter what they are. Right. they're natural and they came from the ground. Absolutely. Uh, I don't even care if that's on or not. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Uh He's going to start throwing shade. <laughs> just super vague shade. I'm sure our audience will love it. Um, but, like, this is a big chunk, but not really much happens. It's it's well-written. I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying there's not much to talk about here. It was I enjoyed reading this. Bit. No, yeah, this was very much more um, reading it was enjoyable, not. And it, it's kind of Ben and Susan being like, okay, let's just pretend and see. Pretend like they're really vampires and test it. Yeah, kind of exact, it's kind of the exact conversation you have with Matt. Which Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't see anything about the anyone else visiting him again, which is odd, because remember the last time she asked Weasel and what's-her-face to visit? Right, yeah, didn't. we didn't see Weasel. No. Huh. Oh, right, they talk about Floyd a little bit during this bit. Oh, um, yeah. Because he points out the, like, the oddness of Floyd coming to visit him wearing a hat, a long coat and like rubber gloves or something Mm -hmm. and susan being like that doesn't make any sense yeah and uh i I like this um he explains the outfit and she's like what and he's like well the sun was out it was shining on him and i don't think he liked that (laughs) it was it was real good uh we also find out floyd's in the drunk tank currently oh yeah yeah um which brings us into our next section which is nolly the deputy just generally being a dick. I hate this dude. Cause it starts with Nolly being like, okay, so Nolly goes over to the diner to get eggs for Floyd for breakfast. Uh, Cause you know, he's in the prison. You don't want to let him starve <laughs> and Floyd's asleep. So Nolly just eats his eggs. Like, eh, fuck him. Like, Nolly's just, Nolly has like, we haven't like revealed deep, dark secrets about Nolly. Like he killed his wife and, or, you know, he What did you have him ask? Did you have him as being a vampire? I think, he, yeah, I have him as I a think, vampire. I think that statement early in the book, at least so far, of him being a go-getter and all that stuff feels very uh, empty so far. Yeah. We were kind of given, kind of set up to have a, for him to have a sort of a personality that has not manifested anywhere so far. It's, he's being, I think, very distinctly set up as just a dick. Like, you're not supposed to like him, but frankly, in comparison to everyone else in the town, he's not that bad. <laughs> no, not really. He's like, he's casually a dick. He's not like, I light fires and shoot the rats while screaming about the town whore dick. Like, he's on the low end of the Although, speaking of fires, spectrum. in that whole uh, Dick Spectrum lore. would be a good punk rock band name. <laughs> yeah. Uh... In that whole sort of weird dump at the very beginning of the chapter, one of those is the pointing out that the Great Fire was started by someone. and 
Right. Uh, speaking of fire. Yeah, yeah. And, like, someone they didn't give a name to, which I keep saying they when I refer to Stephen King. <laughs> Except he has a whole writing team. <laughs> you know, it's that room of monkeys pounding on, you know, typewriters to get the, the next. You know what they say? If you give a, a room of monkeys with typewriters enough cocaine, they'll write the stand. <laughs> That's a common saying, right? I think so. I've yeah. heard it once or twice, at least. But what actually happens in this scene is Nolly eats Floyd's breakfast and then eventually, I think, brings him a coffee and finds him dead. Eventually brings him food again because he go he, he eventually kind of goes, yeah, he does need to eat. I was eating it before because I was <sighs> letting him sleep, but now he needs to get up and eat. <clears throat> and so he kind of rattles on his cage and is like, brought food, brought food, brought food, and then looks in and he's he like, looks pretty sick. He's like, whoa, hold up. He's not moving, but he's kind of sexy. <laughs> as soon as they die, they turn sexy. Except in the case of Marjorie Glick, who started turning sexy before she died. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the sheriff... Yeah. Ends up coming in because he's making such a racket, and then he tells the sheriff, hey... Oh, and he does have this one interesting thing. For quite a while before the sheriff shows up, he does this mind freeze where he can't decide whether or not to unlock the cell, and it's instigated by a show he had just watched where a criminal had deliberately faked illness in order to jump him. So he was frozen in this mindset of, if I open, am I going to get jumped, or am I not going to get jumped? Should I bother? And it was all that wasting time that the sheriff eventually walks in and asks what the hell he's doing. (laughs) What are, you, what are you doing? Just staring at a dead dude? Well, yeah. Well, fucking stop. Do your job. <laughs> yeah. So, Floyd's dead. Yeah. But you will see later his being in the morgue slash not being in the morgue. Yeah, yeah we get a little morgue scene at the be- at the end of this, which confirms he's a vampire. Yeah. I mean, jumping ahead, we get a, we get a scene at the morgue later where we find out both Floyd's body and Randy, the 10-month-old's yeah. body, are gone. So... They're just receiving a new body. They look down the uh, hallway and see two of the doors from M to Z open. Check them, and that's the two people who are. Yeah, there. There is a good moment there when they're like check the nameplate, and it's like Randy McDougal. What does this I mean next to it? Oh, that means it's an infant. Oh, we fucked. We <laughs> lost an infant's dead body. Uh oh. Yeah, that's jumping way ahead, but yeah, yeah. It, that's all that happens in that scene. So yeah. it's, it's confirming these two are vampires. Um, which we've already given you the points for. You can celebrate all you... I'm going to lose this trophy so fucking bad. I don't know. There's some spots I could really... Yeah. Yeah. We didn't put Randy McDougal on the board because I didn't think that even needed to be debated. <laughs> like, I'd, I've read this book and I still would never have guessed that there was a 10-month-old vampire in it. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, fucking wild. But... This this whole chapter is small sections in general that kind of one thing happens in each, basically. Yeah, that's pretty much what they do. Um, then and we, all of them usually kind of terrible, except yeah. for the normal Ben-Susan thing. Yeah, I think this is the, if I remember correctly, I think this is the last lot in this section. I, I could be wrong, but I think it's the last lot chapter in part two. So from here, it's probably just going to be hell-breaking loose. Yep. And from there... I gotta ask, we jump to the dump, and we meet two characters, Franklin Bowden and Virgil Rathburn. Have we ever met them before? I I couldn't I couldn't remember meeting them. They're not on the board. I, if they were met, they were as out of nowhere then as they are now. Yeah. I don't recall them. Because they're basically just described as two drunk dipshits. Yep. Who are coming, basically they're on their way to the dump because, what do they call it, crappies? Yep. <laughs> 
which is essentially like your your cans, your bottles, your your crap you normally dump. And they get there, and there's a uh, thing on the gate that says that they're not that it's closed, and they're like, "Is it Saturday? <laughs> are they are they closed on Saturday? I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're not. They're not. They're pretty sure they're open on Saturday. There was a Saturday, great, Saturday. <laughs> there was a great moment in the Saturday conversation where like it starts. Like, is it? Sa- are they closed on Saturdays? And the other guys are like, "Yes, is it Saturday?" And the other guys like, "Yeah, it's Saturday." And then you get his internal thoughts for a second, like, "I don't fucking know what day it is. I'm drunk as I believe, shit." I believe I'm it's just like, screaming. yeah, I believe it's like he doesn't know if it's Saturday or Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. And they look at this sign on the gate, and they're like, "That sign won't stop me because I'm too drunk to read and just drive through it, yep, plow through it." Like, and and this whole time, still re- remaining pissed at Dud. For not being there and having it open. Yep. Because they end up pulling up. Uh, yeah, there's a moment there where the one guy's like, he's probably off getting drunk somewhere. Yeah. And the other guy's like, hey, hey, Dud doesn't drink. I've never known him to drink. We're the drunks. <laughs> Projection much? Which they are actively doing while they're there. They re- at one point reach down into the, under their seat to grab another beer hidden under it. You gotta fill up that crappies. <laughs> yeah. But they they come in and they, it's kind of sets some tone. There's seagulls reacting uh, but there doesn't seem to be anything else. It's eerily silent. They flip the truck around, dump it all out. But then they decide to go tell Dud what for, for not having been open. And they head to his little shack. And uh, I believe they knock and start shouting for him, but he yeah. doesn't reply. I don't. I think the door is just ajar, or at least not no, locked. It's, it, was, um, it was hooked, but they broke it. And like oh, right. the, it was only hooked from inside. Yeah, they didn't. Point. It didn't get. Uh, they. I keep doing it again. Stephen King didn't give a huge description of the lock, but the impression I got is it was just like one of those hook and eye loops. Yeah, things. that's what that's what. Because it was super easy to break, but could only be locked from the inside, which was the important bit of that. Yeah, they pop it open. It smells really weird in there, like sweet. Worse death than good normally it smells. <laughs> yeah, and they they mentioned that they know bad smells well. Uh, but the place is insanely neat and organized. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe after a while of fishing around, they both get real creeped out. Yeah, because one of them points out, like, wait, that was locked from the inside. How the fuck did Dud get out? And then he's like, window. And then he realizes the window is actually nothing more than a small hole cut into the wall. And then, like, with some sort of industrial stapler or something, plastic was just put over yeah. top of it. And he couldn't fit through it. It was too small a hole. Yeah, because it's a lump. Hump. So they get freaked out. They turn around. They flee back to the truck, and then just kind of do the standard spook out of town. Yeah, or, out of that area. Though. The only, and then like as they're leaving, one of them's like, "Hey, have you ever gone to the dump and not seen a rat? Because I haven't. And we uh, just yeah. did. So, hmm, foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming Dud's just eating all the rats." Rats are also a caprice. Either that, or if we're world. getting weird, we can do, uh, you know, maybe someone's the Pied Piper kind of thing, oh. calling all the rats up into one. I'm, I'm curious if Dud would use like, would use the rats as the tool as a like tool if he's been. There is that vampiric control of animals sort of trick that could show. Oh up. yeah, that one's so like infrequently done. Yeah, that I completely forgot that was a vampire thing. Hmm. I wonder if we'll see some of that. His we did get Barlow being real obsessive about predators, so that that is sort of the thing he prodded him on, wasn't it? When he turned him, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. And like going back even further, the rat on the table when they dropped off the thing, yeah, rats are important. It's uh, it is the year of the rat. That is true. Yep, uh, Zeph is gonna make a big comeback. Zeph music. 
Oh. But yeah, that was that was actually kind of a creepy scene. I don't know. I can't point to what creeped me out about it, but that whole section actually just kind of left me like a little bit, a little bit of the willies, like like half willy, <laughs> a half spook mass. <laughs> oh God! In in the other uh, the podcast I do with T, um, season only, yeah, cross promotion. I'd say I'm gonna cut this out, but you know I'm not going to. <laughs> right. Um. I keep using the term half-mast, and it makes tea super uncomfortable. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, um, and then we get, like, this real quick scene where, back at the hospital, the, I think it's the last time we see Ben for this chapter? Mm. We hear from Ben, because Susan calls him. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's actually at Ben's. Oh, He's getting, right. He gets it on a phone next to his hospital bed. Right, okay. the TV on. So I'm just lying to you all. I am choosing to lie to you <laughs> as the audience, because I dislike you personally. <laughs> God, I is this what I want to go on record real quick. I don't hate Robin Williams. I want to make that very clear. If the last episode and the way Alex set me the fuck up, I don't like Patch Adams, which realizing I probably shouldn't go on record saying that either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do want to make it on record. I I like Robin Williams. Like as much of a monster as you tried to make me sound like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's what I, yeah. I'm still convinced you did that on purpose. <laughs> uh, but. We get Ben peeking in on Matt, and I think Matt's asleep for all of this. And yeah, uh, yeah, it, because he just talks about how he looks, and he looks like that. He's for the first time he actually looks his age, and yada yeah. yada yada. Yeah, it's a pretty quick little. And then he puts the rosary around uh, Matt's neck, and I did like this bit where a nurse is like, "Is he Catholic?" And, and I think it's the last words of the ch- they... section. Ben's like, "He is now." <laughs> God, oh shit! Do you remember way back in high school? Sorry diversion time here you remember way back in high school when there was like it was like three or four days when i came in dressed like a priest yeah uh, it was just like a black button up and i just used a bit of white ribbon around my collar dude i pissed off a lot of people with that wearing any well that was always fun because wearing anything that was uh religiously potent or politically potent was always hilarious yep now, that actually ended up working in my favor because we were doing Canterbury Tales at the time. Mm. And we were supposed to bring in a visual. And I don't know if you remember high school well. I was a little bit of an underachiever. I don't know if you remembered that. Yeah. I happened vaguely. to dress like a priest on the day I was supposed to give our Canterbury Tales presentation and had not prepped anything for it. My tale was the tale of the priest. Oh. So it just worked out. I do remember standing up in front of the class and... One of the other students, um, I remember her name, but I'm not going to, I'm going to put it on here. <laughs> I remember her just like staring at me with, like, staring daggers at me, which got me because she was Christian, but not Catholic, where I was raised Catholic. So I felt like I, I was more in the okay mark here. Yeah. And I remember her raising her hand and looking at the teacher and being like, is, is he allowed to do that? <laughs> it was just great. It's like weird. Sorry. Random diversion. But yeah, and then we get back to, I'm so angry about this next section. I don't have them here, but I made cards for the people in this section and didn't put them on the board because I was like, eh, I doubt they're going to be that important. This? The cheating. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah we jump yeah. back to Bonnie Sawyer. This um, is interesting. Yes. Do you want to take this one? So it's, I believe, started by describing Bonnie. Right. Because she's basically, 
She's in an apron and high heels and nothing else. God, I would rock that look. I think that might just, I'm going to make that my new look. That's my new aesthetic. I got that apron, uh, like with a raccoon on the front, that high heels. I'd be sexy. If you're going to do that, just not when I'm coming over for the podcast or anything. Keep that, you know. The kicker on this is I was literally about to say, when I pick you up on next Thursday, I'm gonna... <laughs> I got a whole week to learn how to drive in high heels. <laughs> I'll get pulled over on the way to your house or oh some my, shit. That, yeah. Like, ah. I've ever told you about the weirdest time I've ever gotten pulled over. I know we're diverting a lot, but we really don't have much more. So bear with us, audience. We'll get through it, I promise. I, uh, I was wearing a dinosaur onesie once while driving. I got pulled over. Um, I was, I was speeding maybe like 10 miles over cop walked up to my door, my, um, my car door looks in, start saying license and registration and then just busts out laughing. And I just sat there quietly. He regains his composure and just went, just keep your speed down. Have a nice day. And just walked back to his car and drove off. I'm like, <laughs> holy shit. You don't have to be rich to get away with anything. You just have to wear a dinosaur onesie. It all makes sense. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I interrupt. Yeah, I guess you uh, are, are by wearing a dinosaur. I guess you're like godfathering yourself in pre-law, right? Yeah, right. I mean, I'm cold-blooded. Your laws mean nothing to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Come back when you have tiny arms. <laughs> Ooh, the tiny arm of the law. Mm, there's a. I'm gonna write a role-playing game called that. It's gonna be about yeah, police got, that. Uh, T-Rexes. I can see that. Yeah. Um, Bonnie being sexy. Yeah. So she's dressed like that door ring she opens it it's exactly what it sounds like it is it's one of those like hey it uh cory the guy she's uh cheating on her husband with mm-hmm. gets to the door as he was described before and i believe he even says a bit into this he turns into a complete fucking kid whenever she does this so yep. he's bumbling what if this had been someone else what if this and she's like oh of course what if it had been the telephone guy <laughs> like the level of control she has and blubbering just absurdness that he has is... Yep. And this kit carries all the way through. So basically, fondling at the door, go to the go to the bedroom. She lays down. She tells him to keep the light on so she can see it. He starts to do stuff, notices that her apron's still on, tells her that uh, she, he's like, take it off. She tells him to take it off, then tells him to get on his knees. She's just manhandling yep. him. And when she's down on his knees, sort of kissing up her thigh, we then get the transition to the husband standing in the doorway with a uh, shotgun resting on his forearm, aimed at core on the ground. Yeah, and of course, who's supposed to be out of town? Yeah, supposed to be in Vermont, I believe, Mm -hmm. some other town, Vermont. And uh, he's got this big shit-eating green look on his face. Oh yeah, and he basically proceeds to humiliate both of them well he actually does just beat her oh yeah yeah but proceeds to humiliate Corey. first his wife starts making up you know he, he came in to rape me he, he he snuck his way in the immediate guess blame it on something it wasn't my fault yeah and like the most thinly veiled like wait i'm sorry he he broke in to rape you and that is why you are in an apron and high heels and like, he's on his knees <laughs> like i mean that would fly for me cuz that's just how i bake um but uh, it is from now on <laughs> i'm sure your mom's going to love that oh it's going to be great and uh, major quiche geez. could you put that away <laughs> um uh 
where were you? Because that was oh um yeah. So he's got the gun thing. Keeps telling her to stop. Corey's just begging for his life. Do whatever you want. Beat the shit out of me. I think he's missed his pants at this point. Yeah. Just beat the shit out of me. Do whatever you want. Just don't kill me. You don't want to go to jail. That's terrible. So he has Corey stand up. Yeah, yeah there's a moment, and I like this, where he's like, you know my dad? If 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 I die, it's going to break his heart, and he's going to die. You'll be responsible for two murders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, this scene is some fucked up stuff, but like that, this is another moment where Stephen King was just really... that. That desperate, grasping at any straw, begging for my life felt real. The last well, time every, I had every a one of the moments you keep head. saying that it feels legit is always always makes King feel more unnerving because you're just suggesting it's always the weirdest, worst stuff mm-hmm. that he's that he has such a familiarity with when he writes it that it sounds so genuine. Yeah, it's a little Ooh. odd to be like, oh, I genuinely wrote this situation. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, anyway, has Corey stand up, takes him out. It states that the guy that the husband's deliberately smiling has loaded the gun a bit so that he knows he won't harm him at least immediately. Tells his wife to stay in the room and wait on him. Takes the Corey out to the uh, uh, living room. Has him. Uh, he puts the gun like he has him like is it no, kind, a kind of kind of yeah kind of starts working up at first goes you know what you did you know that it was to be with my right to end you da 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 and then goes and Corey's like anything just da, da, da. so he has him grab the barrel. With his hand at first, then put it into his mouth, and then of course all the sexual innuendos that the husband could make against it. Yep. You, you know how this works. You know I, what? You know I believe what, at this point he has already implied that he's going to shove the barrel inside his wife and pull the trigger. Oh yeah, if she, yeah, he said something like if she opened her mouth one more time, he was going to do that. We we start seeing little bits of the stand from the future <laughs> sneaking in. Yeah, shoot a rubber bullet up her. No. <laughs> And um, I think at this point, he actually shits himself. It states his sphincter loosens, yep. and he doesn't even realize it. It's like he has to describe. Yep. He puts the barrel in, has him close his eyes, pulls the trigger, pop. It's not actually loaded. Yeah, by pop, you mean. Yeah, not actually loaded. Uh, Corey faints to the floor, and then he tells Corey to get the hell out of here. In this weird kind of segmented way, because he says it, he says that. And then he says, he, he says, I'm cu- coming for you, Bonnie. And she screams. And then it actually cuts away. And then we get it picked back up with the very end of that sequence in which he's actually leading Corey out of the bil- out of the house and states, go on like a little kid up the street, vanish. Uh, Bonnie's just going to have to wear long, long trousers and long sleeve shirts for a while. But I didn't mess up her face. This is where he basically admits he beat the shit out yeah, of her. Yeah, I think he calls it breaking her in. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. of course. And, oh, and he's told Corey, you need to leave town. Yeah, yeah. If, if you, if I see again, you again, I will kill you. Yeah. And so he's kind of heading out, obviously shocked and felt like he was going to die. And then this is where he bumps into old, uh, old Barlow. Barlow. Because... He's walking down the street, or Corey's walking down the street being like, okay, I'm leaving fucking town. I'm out of here. I'm yeah, going it, mention, to it mentions that his grandma always, I think his grandma or whatever, always knew he was, commented on how such a good saver. He has all this money set aside. He could easily pay to move somewhere else and be fine yep. until he found a job. He's immediately getting ready yeah. to leave. He's like, I mean, not even stopping to get the money. He's like, I am yeah. going to the bus, leaving, and I'm going to call and have them wire the money. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. But then old Barlow shows up and is, you know... Hey, how's it going? And just uh, straight up pulls an incel bullshit on him. Yeah. Like, I mean, hey, haves and have-nots. I mean. 
ba basically works him over by first offering him a cigarette, not giving his name, but then eventually giving his name by making all these remarks about Americans. You and your names. Every it's always it's always the name that sells something. You want to buy a used car? My name's Bill Smith. Da, da, da. It and was then a weird transition because it it wasn't like Corey being like, "Hey, what's your name?" So I know if you're important. It was someone's talking to me. You ask them your name. I have to assume that's fairly universal it is bizarre but it seems to be the tool like he start he wants to imply american foreigner and then he wants to start playing with the he starts playing with the concept of foreigner oh but i could live in a city but i won't live in a city because they're disconnected they're they're from the do i want some dawdling fool who thinks he's great bumping into me or running me over now only in a town do you you know, work the soil with your hands and bring life up yourself, and only then are you still connected. And da 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 da, da and like, and and Corey's just like, yes, yes, you're nailing it on the head. And that final nail on the head, I believe, is when he says uh, the the uh, perspective. It's all ultimately based on perspective, right? And then it, I believe it says he's like, yes, and it's like at that moment he kind of nailed it on the head. And this is the same thing with the uh, um, dud too. Mm -hmm. This is what I meant by the weirdness of baiting them before they do it, because then there's always this explicit gotcha moment. It's right. always pointed out. And that's why I think, I think you might need to accept it. It might be, turn. but then, but then once he's like that final, yes, it then does the whole, like, and then he fell to sleepiness, which yeah. is time itself. And the color of that time is red water, you know, because the last, like the p thing that finally, I think that finally pushes them there is the basically being it, it's incel bullshit. It's like, I mean, look at, uh, look at how much Reggie has. Shouldn't you be allowed to get a piece of that? Yeah. It describes it as like Straight scraps up. at a table, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And he, and then Corey's just like, no, yeah, make me, make me a vampire. I won't be a vampire. Basically. Without knowing it. Yeah. yeah. So from there we get um we jump from there there's a couple more scenes we get Susan calling Ben at the hospital yeah and this is just a call to state that uh uh who who all is, I guess died by this point has has been discovered dead at this point that would be um uh Floyd yeah cuz uh, he's actually dead now well yeah, yeah we know Mike's dead yeah um i think she mentions the Randy McDougal yeah um and Marjorie right D don't we find out she's dead at this point uh, Glick, uh, Danny Glick's mom. Yeah, I think that's maybe? when we find out she's yeah, dead. Yeah, maybe. Um, that sounds right. <laughs> spook notes. Sorry, we made that joke a couple episodes ago, and I was editing, and it got me that we need to start writing the spook notes. <laughs> you know, so you keep the flair of the story and those kind of notes rather than the the quick tidbits. Yep. Uh, nope, I'm wrong. All okay. right. Now it's just uh. Randy and Floyd. Oh, okay. Oh, and we get a we do get pointed out that um Corey, the doctor, not Corey, Cody. Come on, Stephen King. <laughs> Come on. There are more. There are so many names. There's so many names. Do you, they have to be this similar? Is the vampire's remark in the earlier chapter about the Americans' obsessions with names indirectly mocking us? Are we being told that our obsession with names and King doesn't care about them? Is... You know what? That's it. From now on, we're going to follow Barlow's advice. We're not going to tell you the names of characters. <laughs> yeah. Ever. <laughs> but yeah, we find out that uh, Dr. Cody said that um, Floyd died of acute anemia, which oh, is a thing yeah. we've heard many yeah. times. Yeah. And Sue's like... He couldn't get into the army, I think, because he, he had high, had blood, high blood pressure. pressure. Yeah. There's no way he had anemia. So, Another one of these, come on, Susan. Can, can, you, can you just accept it now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's... 
all that scene was really it's yeah. just like hey ben. oh it's an update slash watching ben get scared again because he makes the comment that when he hangs up the phone he describes that primal fear of dark of like the, the old darkness and, terror yeah and all, and uh that uh i think the final line is he looks up to see the, sh- the comedy show on tv and is afraid it's uh and he looked at the television where doris day was giving a shaggy dog a bubble bath and was afraid yeah that contrast. Doris Day scares the hell out of me, so I misread that. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't actually know who Doris Day is. I've heard the term. The term. The term. <laughs> We're not supposed to be like think names are important. Right. So. That's true. Right. These are all improper nouns at this point. Uh, uh, then we get the morgue scene that we've already talked about. Yeah. Which is basically, yeah, that was it. Infant buddy said, "Dolly, Jesus Christ, I think we're in trouble." Uh, the the accents implied right yeah because <laughs> that's what northeastern america sounds like <laughs> yeah yeah i always forget this is all maine i, I, I want to give all of these characters super southern accents i think it's that town kind of thing that maybe yeah and then we have two more scenes that both focus on mark um which we haven't seen mark in a bit i guess we got him a little bit in the last time with his parents openly questioning whether or not he's a sociopath yeah through the vent yeah um but we get mark being woken up by straight up danny glick tapping on his window being like hey mark let me hey buddy i I want to play with you come in and there's this moment there where first off mark ends up making matt look like an idiot indirectly bear with like bear with me on this so danny tries to hypnotize mark and mark's like oh I'm going to open that window. No, what the fuck am I doing? And looks away. So Mark gets figured it out immediately. At and first it, trying to break it with what, I guess, what, what is it? Alliteration. So it probably the first letter of the thing. He goes like sunny seashells by the sheet. He starts doing that in order to try to break yes, free. Of, I, yeah. I forgot. I wanted to say that. Like there was like a little poem in there that we have heard before in, well, I, I've heard it in another book and I know you've heard in a movie. Because it's it's a thing that's used in it. Uh, I can't remember the kid's name. The kid who stutters. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. the same like thing that he would say to build up his own courage. It was the like I press my fist against the post and. Oh, oh I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that is odd. I wonder if that's. Yeah. Okay. It's uh. Yeah. To break it. Um. Mark, let me in. I command it. He commands it. I forgot about that. He commands yeah, it. Yeah, he does that several times. As I was saying, um, it has this weird cult-like element beyond just... Yeah, so he starts with the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain, and then the one that is definitely used in it. In vain, he thrusts his fists against the post and still insists he sees the ghosts. Which I believe is like a speech therapy thing for stuttering. Mm-hmm. Mark doesn't have a stutter. Why? Why does that come to mind? Whatever, whatever. I guess it was just anything to concentrate on. Betty Bitter bought some butter. Yep. Maybe Mark's just really into, like, I think what's weird here... I think what's weird here is as weird before, which is essentially you're being given a kid who has, who has like, kind of just absurd reactions to things to a degree. Like, it's just this kid is more centered, more self-aware, more reactive than just about every single person we've encountered in this entire book. Like mm-hmm. The way he deals with this is essentially does that try to break free, and then he eventually looks down at his toys, finds the cross in the zombie graveyard thing, grabs it, and then goes, 
Yeah, Matt, go ahead and come in. No problem. And then if Matt gets this big grin on Danny. his face. Danny. Uh, yeah. Danny gets this big grin on his face, pops the window open, and starts slowly approaching a few steps in. And as he's getting sort of within arm range, Mark just straight up smacks him in the face with the little plastic cross. And, he, and it's described as the Danny's face goes from big, goofy grin to just utter disgust in one swing. And that the uh, cross... Not only it not only burns his flesh because it describes it almost smoking, but mm-hmm. that uh, it yeah, gets, smoke spurted from yeah, yeah and straight it, up it, smoke, and then it's actually glowing. The cross yeah. actually starts to glow, and then Mark felt the flesh yield like smoke. So it's not even like butter; it's just straight through his face. Yeah, Danny screams, and then the last bit in this uh, section is we hear the lamp in the um his parents' bedroom click on, and his dad go, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> yeah. And then we get a really short scene with Mark and his dad. His dad comes in to investigate. He has the time. He straightens the room back up, closes the window, gets back into bed. And it's just quite simply a dad comes in and goes, what's up? Nothing. Sounded like you were having a nightmare. Probably was. Do you need a drink of water? No, I'm good. And then his dad eventually just turns around and leaves. Yeah. And then Mark just like lays down in bed and goes the fuck to sleep. Uh, Specifically around that very flowery description of when other people would, you know, talk about their trials and tribulations and the toughness of things. These are adult things. Children have to deal with the fear under their bed. They're never given a coping mechanism for it. And then I think that's where it ends with like the that's the difference between a boy and a man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what what I want to point out, like Mark unintentionally clowning on Matt here is Matt way back when Danny's sneaking in the window getting Mike. Matt's like, I need a crucifix. Just, I need a, specifically, I need a crucifix. And Mark's just like, hmm, plastic cross? That'll do. Fuck you. <laughs> so, it seems like any cross works. I think this is more and more confirming that this is the boy. Mark has to be the kid thing. Because it's like, no one, I don't know what other kid's gonna get through it when Mark is just this on point every time anything's happening. Yep. Like, everyone else has been shitting the bed when a vampire shows up. And here's this kid, like, immediately trying to break the hypnosis, sees the cross, immediately plans. I mean, this is... Straight up, I think the only person that's recognized they're being hypnotized. Yeah. The only person who has not given into it completely. And and from the same kind of sources, say, Matt, in the sense that... uh, Oh, wait, Matt did break it a little bit with Mike, right? Did Mike even try to hypnotize him, or did he just go? I, I don't think he went anywhere with it, yeah. Because he, cause he says the teacher thing, but then uh, he sort of breaks it in the sense that he kind of grabs that cross and that sort of interrupts what was he was doing to him. But yeah. uh, no, no, no one's had the fortitude of this kid. That's for, at least for sure. Everyone else has just completely lost their mind when they've encountered something. Yeah. This is him encountering another kid who's a vampire. And it's just like, no, get out. Fuck your shit. I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah. And like, not even mentioning it to his dad. Just like, no, I must have called out my sleep. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, well, the rest of the town is literally losing it. He's just like, uh, it was a small interruption. It's I, a, I know you get first pick, but if you don't take Mark, I might at the end of all this. It's, it's pretty damn team. tempting. He's like, he has no powers, but somehow is easily the best ear. Yeah. Yeah. She's wild. But that's the end of our section. Um, all in all, I liked it. <clears throat> I think I think what I'm still hung up on is I want I want to see some pushback. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of tired of, like, the... Uh, I think the offensive has been set. Vampires are out doing stuff. People are getting turned. I want to see some, like, mobilizing the other way. Yeah. I want to see this Ben-Matt group up, 
go poke at the house happen. We have three chapters left of this section. I wonder if we're going to see this in the sec in that part. I want to see. Wonder if we're going to see that in this part at all. I wonder if. I have a feeling that the next three chapters are going to be them trying to do some stuff, things going to hell, and then them leaving. And we're not really going to get the heroes. I'm air quoting the hell out of that until part three. I think they're going to leave town and then come back. That's possible. It would match the beginning. Yeah. You know, but uh, I guess uh, real quick, let's look at our board. We got Marjorie Glick's a vampire. Um, we both guessed dead, so no points there. Yep. Um, we didn't have the foresight to put a 10 month old child on the board. <laughs> that was, yeah, so that was no that points one. there. Um, I think that's it, right? Uh, f- from this chapter. Yeah. I think that's it. No. Cause, Cause the, we didn't put Corey on the board. Yeah. We basically, yeah, we yeah. didn't, we kind of thought he was, this is one of that cheating scenario is one of the ones we had talked about on and I believe leave on podcast and off podcast had a bit is never seeming to pan into anything and it literally got dropped on our lap this chapter yeah yeah we've we've only heard these characters one other time and the other lot yeah and so much of the lot stuff was set up to be like look how shitty people are so i was missed opportunity i literally wrote their names on cards and i was like eh, nah. <laughs> oh man it's i'm excited to see where it goes yeah i'm, I'm genuinely enjoying it yeah i'm holding out i i like I said, the mob thing is eh, but I think a cool comeback and do something about it would fix a lot of that to me. Right, right. Um, anything else we want to get into before we close this one off? Oh, I guess nope. we should tell what we're yeah, doing we're, next. So we're finishing the part. Yeah, so it's chapters so 11, 11, 12, and 13. 13. Yep. Which, let's see what those are called. We got us a Ben for uh, four. Yeah, I can read Roman numerals, I promise. Then we get a... Mark one. Oh, okay. Hey. That's interesting. So And then we get a Father Callahan one. So that's what we're what we're in for. That definitely sounds like the three chapters you imagine taking action back. Yep. Those are the three people you imagine it happening with. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think of a good outro. Until next time. Names aren't important. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And You've read the book? I get all disappointed on the times you don't go, yeah, at the end. Let's do that again. Because <laughs> you normally do, but there's a couple where you don't. Like, when I'm editing, I'm like, e- oh, no, yeah. I almost edited in a yeah from another episode because it just felt so wrong. So we're going to take that one again. Until next time, I've been a person. Until next time, names aren't important, and you've read the book. Yeah. Hole in the Wall Book Club is a part of the Icy New Year Productions Network and produced and edited by Anthony Sheets. The music in this episode is Supernatural Radio by Kevin McLeod. There'll be a link to his license and website in the show notes. If you want to get a hold of us, tweet us at Icy New Year or send an email to IcyNewYear at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to tell a friend or leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice. Word of mouth and five-star reviews really help us get out in front of more people and let us expand and do more things. More information on the show can be found on IcyNewYear.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.